You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. one last thing. If you are a former staff member of this church, you stand if you would. Good. Former staff people, come on. Stand up. Come on. Good. All right. Um, you know, this is an unusual moment in the life of, uh, of a church. Uh, to celebrate 50 years. I, I also wanted to say thank you to Iron City and Cam. Uh, some of their folks are downstairs watching our children. And uh, I just felt like we needed to thank them and say thank you for their coming and being a part of this as well. Now, if you've got your copy of God's Word, go to Exodus chapter 40 where Kirkwood just read. Go there, put your finger there. And then uh, look over at Numbers chapter 9. In the 2nd century uh, A.D., uh, the Greco-Roman writer, Polyanus, left us a volume called Stratagems. Now, what he looked at in Stratagems was this. He looked at the strategy of some of the Roman generals, but he also looked at the strategy of... Uh, perhaps one of the greatest generals that ever lived, Alexander the Great. Now, what I want you to see in that is not his military strategy, but what's fascinating in uh, Pollyannis' stratagem is that he gives a description of, uh, of the traveling throne room of Alexander the Great. Now, for a year, 9-11, that's tomorrow would be a year, we started in the book of Exodus. So we've been in Exodus exactly one year. And uh, for the last two months, for seven weeks, uh, we've been looking at the tabernacle. We saved all of that till the end. And uh, I just think about that little building, that little small tabernacle that uh, the Hebrews built, uh, that God gave them the instruction for. And uh, I turn now to the tents of uh, the throne room of Alexander the Great. I want you to listen to what Pollyanna said about that throne. It was not just a single tent. These were multiple tents put together. The tent was large enough for 100 couches. Now, those aren't couches like you've got in your den. These were much larger. 50 gold pillars supported the tents. 50 gold pillars there was embroidered gold canopies stretched out above. They covered the palace. Inside the tent, now listen to this, 500 Persian spear bearers stood first. Uh, they were all dressed in purple and yellow clothing, and the spear bearers stood in equal number of archers. So there were 500 archers now, Persian uh, archers in different clothing, 
for some wore flame-colored, some dark blue, and some scarlet. In front of these stood Macedonian silver shields, 500 of the tallest Macedonian soldiers. Now, in the middle of the room stood the golden throne of Alexander the Great, on which Alexander sat to give audiences. Bodyguards stood on each side when the king heard cases. In a circle around the tent, now on the outside around the tent, were the core of elephants Alexander had equipped and a thousand Macedonians wearing Macedonian armor. Next to these were 500 Elamites dressed in purple and after them, in a circle around them, 10,000 Persians. Have you ever heard of the, um, the invincibles, the Persian, the 10,000 invincibles of Persia? Uh, no matter how many died in battle, the next day there was always 10,000. He had the 10,000 uh, Persians that had surrounded as, as well. The most handsome, the tallest of them, adorned with Persian decorations, all carrying so short swords. Uh, such was Alexander's courtroom among the barbarians. Now the most fascinating thing of all was this. It was outside the, the, the throne room of uh, Alexander that a very tall pole uh, was established. And on top of that pole was a brazier. And in that brazier were live coals that burned continuously. So that in the daytime, there was smoke. So that you could know where the king was. Where is Alexander's tent? Uh, it, was, uh, it was a mark of identification where he ruled and from where he would hand down orders, uh, that smoke off of that brazier. And then at night, it glowed red with coals so that even in the dark, you could see that, that brazier and know where the king happened to be. Now, that's fascinating to me. And uh, it sounds as if Alexander the Great had heard a story of something that occurred 1,100 years before he ever came on the scene. And that was the cloud that Kirkwood just read to you. This cloud by day, this pillar of fire, this column of fire by night uh, that uh, stood there over the tabernacle of God's people. Uh, now, it wasn't there so that the people could know the location of God. It was there because God had made an identification with the people. Uh, they didn't need to search for God. The way people would have to go and search for Alexander, uh, it was uh, there, that brazier was there to give them the location, uh, the idea of where Alexander was uh, the cloud there during the day and the column of fire by night was to remind the people that God was with them, that he had located them. They did not locate him. Uh, he had located, he finds his people and then he identifies with them. I think you can say the same about this church and the history of this church that somewhere back in February of 1970, uh, the interesting thing is that 16 families came together and began to pray out of a conviction they felt 
that God wanted a church to meet here somewhere in North Shelby County. And so those 16 families came together, and by May of, of 1970, just a few months later, they met in the basement of the paid home, and then finally meeting in the basement of the Bright's home. They would gather together on Wednesday nights in a prayer group, in a time for Bible study and prayer. That small group of people, if you were to think about that, those nine families that came together, that small group of people, really less than a year later, in February of 1971, bought seven and a half acres of land right down here on Valleydale Road. Now, that's pretty amazing to me when you stop and think about it. The average salary in 1973 was $12,500. $12,500. And these nine original families, uh, families came together. Now, look, if you think about just think about it, That's just 18 adults. And if you give every one of the families two kids, let's don't give them one and a half, you know. Every home has one and a half kids. A half kid is hard to think about. Um, so let's give them two. That's 36. So, you know, 18 adults, mom and a dad, then two kids, they come together. They buy this property down there. And then in 1972, they come back and they buy that Permastone Chapel for $6,000 from the Methodists. They move it down here to this property. And then on September the 9th, 1973, which was yesterday, they called the pastor, John David, with 101 charter members. Now, that was a lot of expense for a small group of people in a day and time where the average salary was 12,500 a year. And yet they believed that God was moving in their midst and as God was moving, they were committed to follow that. Now, back to the text of scripture, in Exodus chapter 39 and in chapter 40, you have 16 statements that are exactly the same. And what you read through chapter 39 and into chapter 40 where you end up with this cloud that uh, we read about just moments ago, 16 times you read this, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 16 times God says that in his word, in two chapters. And then you come down to these words at the end of chapter 40, verse 33, thus Moses finished the work. He finished it, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And what you have is this. You have Israel now watching that cloud for what it would do. Because it's going to move, and the people are going to follow, just like those nine families were going to follow the will of God back in 1970, all the way through 1973, and they did it. Let me tell you something. When God's people follow God's will, when God moves, God will always assume all the responsibility. Now, let me, let me, let, let me say that again to a Baptist church. Because normally somebody's jumping up wanting to know how much is it going to cost and where are we going to get the money from. As if that's the most important thing. 
When God's people will follow God, when God moves, God will assume all the responsibility. Amen. There's about six of us that agree with that. Now, take your Bibles and look with me over to Numbers chapter 9. Because in Numbers chapter 9, you're going to come to the parallel story of all of this. Remember at Sinai, you go from chapters 19 of Exodus all the way through the book of Leviticus, now into the ninth chapter of Numbers, and uh, they're all still at Mount Sinai. They're going to begin to move. But I want to show you two things this morning. Y'all believe that, don't you? Two things. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to understand that you can always follow God into the unknown. Now, that's where they're headed. I'm over in Numbers chapter 9 and verse 15. Let me begin right there. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted up from over the tent, afterward, the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp at the command of the Lord. The sons of Israel would set out at the command of the Lord. They would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Now, let me take you to the last verse of chapter 9, verse 23, and read this verse. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command, you see how many times this is stated again and again and again. He states it over and over and over in chapter 40 and in here. And the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, Israel was ready to move. God was going to move. They've been at Sinai now for about 11 going on 12 months for a year. There was given at Sinai, you remember God's presence came down on the mountain there and uh, God spoke to them and the people were terrified and they said, listen, you go up and get the word from the Lord. We're, we're too afraid. And so Moses goes up and he comes back down with the tablets uh, and he discovers that the people had so quickly abandoned the covenant uh, and he, in his fury, he threw the tablets down. They broke. There was the golden calf, the whole incident with that. Then God turns around and tells Moses to come back up, cut two more tablets, you come back up, and I'm going to give you this word all over again. And he goes up, and he gives him the word, and he gives him uh, the blueprint for the tabernacle. And so uh, Moses comes back down, and the people begin to give now out of their hearts, willingly to give, and they have all the material that they need to make the tabernacle and they establish it. They build it beginning in about chapter 35. They begin to build all of this. Chapter 40, we read where Moses puts all of it together and then he gets everything onto the inside of the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies and in the holy place and all of it's done. And now that they've got that tabernacle erected, the cloud is going to move. They're gonna have to take it all apart now. And they take it all apart and as the cloud begins to move, they're going to move. 
after a year of being there in that place. And we're told this, that as the cloud moved, they would move. And it says they kept the Lord's charge. I just shared with you over and over, you're told this, that as the Lord commanded, when the cloud moved, they would move. As it settled, they would settle. As the Lord's charge. Now, you would think that the word charge there means obedience, at, in obedience to what the Lord has said, in obedience to his instruction, in obedience to his word. But in that little Hebrew word, there's an interesting meaning that's there, and it means watch, to watch, to watch what happens. The priests of Israel had certain priests that through the course of the day, their job was to stand there and watch that cloud. And if that cloud began to lift, they would call the people to begin to pick up and pack up because they were going to set out. All through the night, they had the same thing. There were the watches in the night of the priests there. The Levitical priests would stand and they would watch for that cloud to move. And if it lifted they would sound the silver trumpets. Do you see that? If you're there in chapter 9 of Numbers, if you just look down in chapter 10, verse 2, it says, make for yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work, you shall make them, and you shall use them for the summoning of the congregation and for having the camp set out. It's the same trumpet, same word in the Hebrew that's used in the Greek in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we read these words, and the Lord himself will come with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. It's these silver trumpets that call the nation to pick up, pack up, and to head out. Now, the interesting thing is this. God doesn't tell them where they're going. God doesn't call a Baptist business meeting and say, let me present a proposal, and if you all vote 51%, we'll do it. It is funny to think God would do something as silly as that. He doesn't come down and say, hey, I've got a proposal I'd like to give you. Here's the route that I'm going to take. Here are the places that we're going to go to. He doesn't give them a Rand McNally map. He doesn't give them a GPS system. He doesn't tell them we're going to this place and then hang on, I'll tell you where we go from there. He doesn't give them a word. He doesn't tell them anything. Just that cloud would lift up and as it would lift up, it meant to pick up and to pack up and to get ready to move. You remember Abraham who followed the Lord in the same way? God never told him where he was going. He says, just follow me, I'll get you there. Well, that's exactly what the Lord is doing with the entire nation of these Hebrews right here. He says, when I move, you move. And I go back in my mind and I think of these nine families, these original nine families who became the nucleus of this church. They had no idea where God was going. Let me just ask you guys a question. Could you see this back then? No. They're all shaking their head, no. They couldn't see this. They had no clue what this was going to turn out to be. They just knew that when God said something, they needed to be obedient. They needed to move. Amen. Amen. Now, for you, you, you that are visiting, this will take longer if, you, you know, if I have to stand up here and amen myself. <laughs> amen? That's all they knew. Here they are. Ask them. 
Ask them, could they see what this church would be? Ask them, could they know back then the mission enterprise that this church would be a part of? Ask them if they could know uh, the churches that this church has had an impact on and an impact with. Ask them, could they know about the people that would come to Jesus Christ here? Ask them, could they know about all of the things that this church is involved in over the last 50 years? And the answer is no. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 33. Let me give you a, let me give you a, a, a word from there. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, all that generation that was there at Sinai has died. They all died out because they were disobedient to God. And you come over now to Deuteronomy. There's only three left. Moses, and he's going to die at the end of Deuteronomy. This is why he's doing it. He knows he's going to die. So he comes and he gives that younger generation. All of those 19 and below lived. Everybody 20 and older died. So Moses comes and he gives them Deuteronomos. Deutero second nomos law. He gives them second law. And, and uh, he's going to give them this because he's going to die. And the ones that will go over, you've got two old men that are going to take the rest of these teenagers over. You've got Joshua and Caleb. You've got to have an old man around every now and then. You just need one. You just need one. Now, thank you. Now listen to, listen to what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son. In all the way which you have walked, you came to this place. Now, they're on the banks of the Jordan pretty much. And he's saying this, you can follow God into the unknown. That's what he's saying. All the way the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way in which you've walked until you've come to this place. Verse 32, but for all this, you didn't trust the Lord your God. That generation that passed away, they didn't trust. But now listen to what he says. Who goes before you on your way? Who who goes before you? Let me ask you personally, who goes before you every day before you get out of the bed to get up, to go to school, to go to work, to go and get involved in the things you're involved in? Who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night, cloud by day, to show you the way in which you should go? Let me tell you something, folks. When God calls us to walk into the unknown, it may be mysterious for us, but let me let you in on something. It's not mysterious for him. We may not know where he is going. We may just be following without any sense of direction whatsoever, but I can tell you this, he knows where he's going. 50 years ago when he led these people to become part of this church, this is the illustration for the younger generation. These, this older generation right here were willing to follow the Lord wherever he went by faith into the unknown because they trusted him. You can trust the Lord to lead your life. 
You can trust him to lead you at work. You can trust him to lead you at school. You can trust him to lead you in anything that you're involved with. You can follow the Lord into the unknown. Now, let me give you the second thing. And the second thing is this. You will never walk into the future alone. You never walk into the future alone. They didn't walk into their future alone, and that's what I want you to look at now. Go back to Exodus chapter 40, and just listen to what is said there. Just look at the word that we're given there. Beginning in verse 34, we read that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now think about that from time to time when I may have thought about it earlier this morning. Wouldn't it have been so amazing if the presence of God, like at Solomon's temple, that the presence of God became so real in this place we could not have come into it? I think about that. It became so real in the tabernacle there, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Why? Because the presence of God, the glory of God was so heavy there, he could not push into it. That's amazing to me. Y'all just sit there, but that's amazing. The cloud covered the tent. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He filled that place in the center of all of Israel, in the center of all of the Hebrews. And you read at the end of verse 35, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We're told that twice. Then we're told this twice throughout all of their journeys. Verse 36, verse 38, for throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Every single family saw it. Every single family understood God is here in our midst. We sense that in these days at Valleydale, and we have no explanation for it. It is a, it is, as the Greeks, it is a mysterion. It's a mystery. We have no idea. Now, let me just show you something before I wrap all of this up. I want you to look back to the first time you see this cloud, chapter 13 of Exodus. Go back to Exodus chapter 13 and look at this, thinking about we do not go into the future alone. The Lord was going before them. Verse 21, Exodus 13, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, what did it seem to be to them? Look over to chapter 16. Chapter 16 in verse 10, listen to how it looked to these Hebrews. Uh, Exodus 16, verse 10, and it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, I cannot skip this. I'm gonna say it and I'll move on. I just wanna tell you that there is coming a day we are told we're going to look up. The dead in Christ will rise first and those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Yes. I got a couple of Pentecostals that are here. 
Amen. Amen. Now that's what they did. That's what they saw. They saw the glory of God in this thing. And when they saw the glory of God in it, it was a picture. This whole cloud was a picture of what the tabernacle had been showing all along. The Messiah, Jesus Christ. Everything in that tabernacle, we've spent two months looking at that tabernacle. Everything from the fabric to the metal to the wood to how they put it together to every piece of furniture from the great brazen altar to uh, the laver to the showbread table to the uh, incense altar to the golden menorah there to the ark of the covenant and the holy of holies and the holy place and the courtyard, all of that. We've looked at it and in every place, every place you see Jesus Christ. Same thing with this. Same thing with this cloud. Now let me show you Christ in the cloud. Number one, the cloud, like Jesus, was an unerring God. Psalm 107, verse 7, he led them also by a straight way. He's not only an unerring God, he's an untiring God. Exodus 13, 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He was an unfailing God. Psalm 78, 52, but he led forth his people like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He was a guiding light. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 19, the pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light the way for them, the way in which they were to go. It was a cloud for covering. Psalm 105, verse 39, the psalmist called it a cloud for covering. If you've never been out in the, in the desert, um, I've been in the desert of Africa, North Africa. I've been out in the Middle East. In the de- and I want to tell you something. You never see a cloud, number one, to begin with. Uh, there's just not any moisture out there. But you often think if a cloud would just come and cover the sun, well, that's exactly what this cloud did. It came and it covered the sun for these Hebrews. It was a cloud of protection. Exodus 14, 24, the Egyptians were pursuing the Hebrews to overcome them, drag them back into Egypt for slavery. But we read this at the morning watch. The Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. You recall what God did to protect the Hebrews all through that night? Exodus 14, 19, and 20. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. That is, the cloud moved between uh, the, uh, the Hebrews and the Egyptians. It brought total and complete and absolute darkness so that they could not see anything to the Egyptians. And yet on the other side, there was the light so that these Hebrews could go to bed that night with a night light. It was a cloud of protection. It was a platform from which God spoke. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. 
Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man would speak to his friend. Jesus Christ fulfills every bit of that. Down to the very last sentence there, to the very last one, number seven, that God spoke to Moses from the mercy seat. He would cause that Shekinah glory to come down on the mercy seat, and from out of that mercy seat would come the voice of God. Hebrews chapter one, verse one, God spoke to us in times past to the fathers in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us through his son. Jesus Christ. In every way, this cloud speaks of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. You need to think about that. Let me ask you a question. Is there a sense of the presence of God in your life personally? There obviously was in the life of the nine that started this church. That cloud moved and those nine people out of 16 families, nine families, said that they sensed the Lord moving and so they followed the Lord. They sensed the cloud moving and they bought property. They sensed that cloud moving and they bought that permastone building. It moved again after two preachers and the third pastor, Dr. Moore, came. And he came and he said there were 35 people in church that day. Five of them was his own family, but the people sensed. He sensed the cloud was moving. And he came to that church, to this church, even though there were just 30 people there. On Easter of 78, those folks saw the cloud move and they followed it into a new building. One year later in 79, they saw the cloud continuing to move and they went and worked on more Sunday school space. In 1980, the cloud moved again and the church followed into another building dedication. Just a year later, the cloud was moving and the church approves temporary building units. 1984, the cloud moved again and Dr. Kelly came as pastor of this church and the cloud moved and the people followed. And I can't give you all the building programs. It'd be another hour that you went through under Dr. Kelly. But you got here. You came to this place. After all that time, the cloud moved. There was a study that was done. The cloud moved in 2000. And the people came together to agree to what the committee had said. And on September the 16th, 2001, the people saw the cloud moving and followed it and voting to purchase 44 acres of land right here on this hilltop. The cloud moved. They held the first service here. And September the 21st, 2003, the cloud continued to move. People didn't think that it would, but it continued to move. And this church called a young pastor who would come in and would revamp some things and renovate some things and do some new things and would give the church a sense of youth and a sense of energy and expectation when Jason Dees came. And the cloud moved through those years because the cloud had been moving in all those years prior to that and the people of this church kept following the cloud, not following the man, following the cloud. Not following necessarily the staff, but following the Lord all along. And if you're back there in Numbers chapter 9, I've got to just give you one more little verse here. 
lest we think the cloud has settled for good now. Chapter 9 of Numbers in verse 22, it says, whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle. Sometimes we get too complacent. Amen. We get too complacent. We just want the cloud to settle and not do anything. Not for a day or two, not for a month. Let's do it for years. Let's have a few years, but I want to tell you something. God doesn't do that. God doesn't just settle down and the people settle down and do nothing. Listen to what it says. Whether it was two days or a month or a year, the cloud lingered over the tabernacle staying above it. The sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they set out. We've watched for 50 years the cloud of God move in this place. And the church has always responded, followed the leading of the Lord. It seems to have settled just for a period of time right now. But let me tell you, that won't last for long. God's going to move. He'll move again. The question is, will this generation follow the Lord as they did before us? Would you stand with me, all of us standing? Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.